Our guest believes that better management can be achieved with a nicer bark and no bite. What does that mean? And how can you put it into practice? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change you want to see. This episode is brought to you by Shift Shaper Strategies. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. Clarify your message so you win more clients, crush your sales goals, and build your practice. Learn more at shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, here's your host, StoryBrand Certified Guide and Chief Transformation Strategist at Shift Shaper Strategies, David Saltzman. You know, whether you manage a company, whether it's large or small, or a department, or whether all you're doing is managing yourself, we all need better leadership skills. And just finished reading a really nice book. It's a great read. It's not stodgy like a lot of leadership books. It's from Daniel Matthews, who's our guest today. And it's called The Language of Leadership, Nicer Bark, No Bite. And I think that's a great place to start. Daniel, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Our pleasure. So talk us a little bit about your journey so folks know how you got to be the sage that you are today. Wow. (laughs) So my journey actually as a trainer began in the United States Air Force. And for whatever reason, my boss saw something in me and he sent me to school to become a trainer. Now, the interesting thing about that is, is I'm a high school dropout. And after I got out of the Air Force, I went to work for Toyota doing similar things that I did in the Air Force having to do with security. And there was a position that opened up as a trainer. So I thought, well, you know, I'm a pretty good trainer, or at least I think I am. So I'm going to apply for this job. And I had some friends who worked in the department, and they actually helped me write my resume. And I put in for it, and I got it. And I was actually working side by side with people who had bachelor's, master's, and PhDs. So for me, it was a thrill to do that. And having been a trainer in the military, it was a little different than being a trainer on the outside, especially when we're talking about safeguarding America's nuclear weapons. So my delivery wasn't as lighthearted as it is in the book or seems to be in the book now. And I was called on the carpet one day by my boss, and he basically told me, he said, if, if you can't stop being rude and curt in class, which to me, I was just being direct, he said, if you can't do that, then we're going to have to let you go. And now keep in mind, I'm a high school dropout, and this is the best job I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And so I worked with one of my co-trainers, and she helped develop my non-military personality so that, that I could do a better job in the classroom for Toyota. And since then, I've been teaching leadership and problem solving and developing classes and working with manufacturers and universities, all types of organizations to help them develop their problem solving and leadership skills. Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much everybody who's listening's mom once said, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Exactly. So that's, you know, it's really important. It's, a, it's an important part of communication. So let's start at the beginning. One of the things that you point out in the book that you think is really important is that people find and focus on their leadership why. What is a leadership why and how do you find it? You know, for me, it's two things. First of all, you need to have your leadership why in terms of why are you doing this 
or why do you want to take on this role as a leader? And the second part is, why do you want to take on the role of a leader as it pertains to the people you're going to be leading? Now, this book and, and the title of the book, The Language of Leadership, Nicer Bark, No Bite, actually started because it was going to be a combination book that my dad dreamed up about leadership and then dog training because he needed help with his dog. So when I think about, when I started thinking about this chapter, I was thinking about all the reasons people get dogs, you know, and look, during the pandemic, what has happened? You know, the shelters basically almost went to zero in terms of the dogs they had for adoption. Well, as we're coming out of that, what's going to happen to those poor dogs? So for me, it's like, why do you want to be a leader? If you're going to take on the position of leadership, what is it going to do for you personally and for your family if you're supporting other folks? So the, the idea is to ask yourself that question. And then the other question you ask is, okay, how am I going to how am I going to, or why am I leading other people? Because when we take on the role of leadership, we are not just taking on the tasks and responsibilities of the leader. At some point, we're really impacting the lives of those people we lead and the families they support. And if we're a bad leader and we do something that causes them to lose their job, you know, because we weren't the better coach. Now, I'm not saying everybody is salvageable. You know, I, I have what I call the one percenter rule. And that is there's one percent out there that you probably can't do much with. But the other folks, if you're a good enough leader, you can bring them up to a level that at least meets the standards you need in order to get the job done. Not everybody's going to be a superstar. So you really need to define the why. And once you, you do that, you, you basically make two lists. You know, why? Is it important for me personally to be a leader? And why is it important for me to be a leader to lead other folks? And the idea is that before you leave the house, you look at that one list that says, why do I personally want to be a leader? And you look at that and think about those things so that when you go out the door, you know why you're taking on this responsibility. And then once you get to the front door of wherever you work, even if it's in your office upstairs, in front of a camera, why am I doing this leadership? Why am I performing as a leader in this position? And remind yourself of those things so that as you go through the day, those things are constantly percolating in your head and you know why you're there. You know why you need to do a good job as a leader so that your people can be successful. And you know why you need to do a good job as a leader so that your family and your personal life can be successful. At the end of the day, isn't a, a vast portion of the ability to be a leader relationships, just human one-on-one -on -one relationships? And if you don't have them, what do you do? Yeah, you're singing my song right there. It, you know, leadership is all about relationships. You know, if you're a fan of comics or, or Spider-Man in particular, his uncle told him one day, he says, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, later on, Peter Parker added to that and he says... This is my gift and my curse. And if you're a good leader, the gift is that you're able to develop those remarkable, I say remarkable working relationships with your people. This is what a true leader is. It's somebody who can get people to do what they want, when they want, how they want, because they want to. And the only way to do that is if you've developed strong working relationships with the people you work with. Now, you know, some people get into the leadership game because they only want personal gain. They, they don't really care about the gift of helping other people. And that's the curse. 
And we all know those leaders. We've had those leaders in our life at some point in time. And we know what that feels like. And everybody has probably heard by now that people don't quit. They don't quit jobs. They don't quit companies. They quit the leaders. What do you have to do to create trust in those relationships? You know, I think that's one of the things that I learned at Toyota when I was working there. And that is that you have to be present. You have to be with the folks and you know, I worked in the training department. So my job was, you know, sitting behind a computer, developing courses or working with a team to develop courses and then delivering them in the classroom. But we weren't just tasked with that. We actually had to go out on the shop floor and so did everyone else that was in a supervisory or leadership position. They were tasked with going out on the shop floor for at least 30 minutes a day. And the idea is, is that you're interacting with these folks in their work area and you're talking to them about their lives, what they're doing at work and how they're feeling about work. And it's one of the chapters that I have in there. It's called The Daily News. And it's really about uh, devoting time to your folks, whether they're your, your people or people outside of your area, if you're a leader. Because one thing that that I think makes Toyota such a strong company is their leaders don't just stay in their little silo. They go out and they engage with people out on the shop floor or in other areas or other departments so that they can build those relationships. So it's, you got to devote time. You got to show appreciation. You got to show interest in them. You definitely have to listen and you have to be what I call you focused. When you go out there, it's should, the conversation should never constantly revolve around you and what you're doing and, and what you think and your family and everything else. It's about getting to know those people. And once you get to know somebody, you become closer with them. And I'm not saying that you're going to be like friends where you go out and have a beer every night, but there's certainly a friendly aspect to that development of trust. And now a word from our sponsor. It's a fact. Salespeople and organizations lose opportunities because they don't clearly communicate their value. In today's market, your story is your message. It should be crystal clear, perfectly arranged, and precisely targeted to attract the clients you want. As a certified story brand guide, we use the exclusive SB7 process to create that story and the websites and collateral that deliver it. If your message isn't cutting through the noise, we can help. Visit us at shiftshaperstrategies.com to learn how we can help you find, clarify, and deliver a message that wins clients, crushes sales goals, and builds your practice. In sales, if you confuse, you lose. So learn more and schedule that call today at shiftshaperstrategies.com. That's shiftshaperstrategies.com. And now, back to our discussion. Okay, so let's get a little bit lighter. What does flying a kite have to do with any of this stuff? <laughs> oh, that actually is one of my favorite stories. I'm glad you picked that. So, you know, when I was a kid, we all had kites. And, and for me, it was my bat kite. If you remember what a bat kite looked like, it was kind of a triangle. And, and mine had these big, big eyes, bloodshot eyes on it. And I was out flying the kite and, and it was really windy. And the string broke on my kite and the kite landed in the next neighborhood over. So when I went over to get my kite, I encountered these this group, the small group of boys who were around my kite. And I said, hey, that's my kite. And they said, 
Not anymore, it's not. Well, back in the day, I was taught to stand up for myself. So I, I stood up for myself and I walked away with a couple of bumps and bruises and no kite. And when I got home, I told my stepdad, I said, yeah, I, my string broke and the kite went over there and I tried to get it and they wouldn't give it to me. And he, he says, well, I'm glad you stood up for yourself. He says, I'll buy you a new kite. I was like, okay, cool. This is going to be great. He says, I'll get it after work and bring it home. So the next day, I hear the car pull up after he, he got home from work. Now, he was a construction worker, so he worked hard every day. So as soon as, as, soon as he opened that door, I was like, where's my kite? And he was like, is that how you ask for things? You know, and he basically was telling me that, you know, that was kind of rude of me. He says, no, you can't have your kite until you can learn to ask for it properly. And so day two comes and he walks in the door and I look at him. I go, may I have my kite, sir? He goes, no. (laughs) I'm like, what do you mean? No. He goes, well, he says, you know, that wasn't very considerate. You know, I've just spent all day at work. And I come home, and the first thing I get when I walk in the door is, can I have my kite? You know, and I'm thinking, well, I asked politely. I said, sir, and please, and all those good words. And he said, no. He says, not until you can learn to be considerate of others. So day three, you know, the third time's the charm. So day three comes, and I'm, I know he's getting ready to come home. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So he opens the door, and he walks in, and I said, how are you today, sir? And he says, I'm fine, thank you. And he sits on the couch after going to the refrigerator and grabbing a beer. And he he sits down and I sit next to him. I said, how was your day, sir? He says, well, it was pretty good. I said, well, I'm glad to hear that. And he said, well, how was your day? I says, it was pretty good. He said, okay, well, the kite's in the backseat of the car. You can go get it. And so that story really is all about, first of all, it's about how to make requests, how to ask people for things. But, but more than that, it's, it's about being considerate about other people, especially their workload. You can't just go up to people and say, hey, I need this by 10 o'clock and it needs to be 20 copies and this and that. You know, I know you're their leader and you should know what they've got going on. But you don't necessarily know what they're working on at that particular moment and where they are in that process. So you need to be considerate and find out where they are and what they can do or how they might be able to arrange their their work so that they can get what you need done. And so that's what that's all about. It's a great story. One of the things that you that you highlight in the book is and, and it's a failing that I see in a lot of organizations is to create a culture of accountability. How do you do that? in a way that isn't like your experience in the military, but is more like your experience at Toyota? Wow. Accountability. You know, you have to be able to, first of all, make sure that people understand what the expectations or standards are. And if they understand what those standards are and you communicate the needs that you have, then it's easy for them to be accountable. Now, you know, we all, we all get caught up in our own things and, and we, don't necessarily follow through with things as we should. But as a leader, what you need to be able to do is you need to be able to, to reel them back in and say, look, you know, here's what the expectation was. Here's what I needed from you. you know, tell me what's going on. And it reminds me of one of the stories in the book, because we all have baggage. And this one, the chapter, I think, is called Switching Gears, but it's about my neighbor's dog. And his name was Felix. And since I work from home in my office, I do a lot of recording and 
recordings. And one day I was trying to record a video and I could hear Felix barking and it was driving me absolutely crazy. So I go outside and I, I say, Felix, be quiet, be quiet. And as soon as I say that, he shuts up. And as I turn around to walk away, he starts barking again. So we go through this a couple of times. Finally, I walk over to the fence and I start scratching his head. And I say, Felix, you got to give me a break here. You know, give me at least 10 minutes so I can get this video done. And he stops and stops barking. And then I notice that he's looking over my shoulder. And he starts barking again. And so I look over my shoulder and there's a Lowe's bag, one of those plastic bags. And it's dancing in the wind in the street. And that's what's causing Felix to bark. As soon as I got rid of that bag, Felix stopped barking. I was able to make my video. Now, the reason that's important is because we all carry baggage with us. And that baggage sometimes gets in the way of what we need to do or what we need to get done. And so when we think about accountability, one of the tools that I talk about is SWITCH, S-W-I-T-C-H. And, and it stands for basically understanding the situation and stating what the specific discrepancy is that you have with that person. And then the other part of it is, is watching. Watching and waiting. When you tell somebody there's a problem, and, and in the book there's a specific way to go about it, but when you tell somebody there's a performance issue, you need to shut up. Just shut up and watch. And a lot of times you'll get cues and clues like Felix gave me when he kept looking over my shoulder that there's other issues. And what you need to be able to do is pick up on those other issues that people are having. And then you need to investigate it, you know, dig into it, talk to them, find out what's really going on. Then you need to treat that issue. You need to help them. Now, that's not to say that you're going to solve that problem for them, but you might be able to point them in the right direction to help them get what they need in order to get over that hump. And then the C is, is you need to change course. Because originally you started this conversation because you have a performance issue. So now you need to go back to that performance issue and restate it. And then you need to handle it in whatever the appropriate way is. And, and most of the time, if you're a really good leader, you're letting those people come up with the way to handle it. Your job is just to guide them through the process of doing that. We've got a couple of minutes left, and I think a great place to end is also someplace that's often neglected, and that's developing an attitude of gratitude. You got the job done. Why is it important to go this extra step? Because, you know, we all, even though, you know, I, I've heard people say, oh, I don't, I don't, nobody needs to pat me on the back, but we all need that to some degree. And for me as a leader, and this is not something, obviously, these are things that, that I was not perfect at in the beginning. I mean, I tell lots of tales on myself throughout the book. And it's something that I learned. And it's, it's really about showing your appreciation for the work they do. But it's more than just saying thank you or patting people on the back. I think one of the most important things you need to be able to do, and this goes back to the beginning about creating those relationships. If you've created relationships, you're going to know about these people. And you're going to know things about them like, you know, what kind of coffee they like, what kind of snacks they like to, you know, what they do in their spare time. You're going to know these types of things. And if you want to be able to show gratitude for somebody's work, you got to be able to do it in ways that are more than just patting them on the back or saying thank you. Yes, certainly those are, are good enough sometimes, depending on what you're grateful for. But when people go beyond, what are you going to do to show that appreciation? And I think one of the examples I use in the book has to do with coffee. 
You know, if, if you know this person has a, a Starbucks order that's, you know, like five squirts of raspberry and, you know, 10 squirts of white chocolate and, and one shot, of, you know, whatever that mixture of coffee is, if you know what that is and they have done something that you're really grateful for, wouldn't it be nice if they came back from a meeting or something and they saw that cup of perfectly executed coffee sitting on their desk with a note that says, thank you, you did a great job on whatever. You know, it, it doesn't have to be in person, but that type of understanding of the individual and the ability to provide that sort of gift, if you will, to them for doing what they did and showing that recognition, I think is a perfect way to show your gratitude. Well, and it's interesting because it's not, you know, buying somebody a Rolex. It's oftentimes the smallest little gesture, but it has to be personal. It has to say, I, I recognize you, I value you. A mentor of mine once said that you think about everybody that you meet with a little invisible badge on their shirt that says PMMFI, please make me feel important. It takes the smallest amount of effort of any of the other leadership things we've talked about today. And it's the one that's probably the biggest factor at developing a, t- a team that trusts each other and that trusts the leader. Absolutely. And the only way to do that is to engage with them and learn about them and get out there where they're doing the work. You, you can't just sit at your desk or behind your computer and hope the relationship is going to work out. And that's a great place to end our conversation for today. Daniel Matthews, author of a really great book, Pick It Up, it's on Amazon, every place you buy books. It's called The Language of Leadership, Nicer Bark, No Bite. Daniel, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. Thank you, sir. I enjoyed myself immensely. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of Shift Shaper Strategies and may not be reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without our express written permission. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.